Well, would you guys join me in praying as we come to the Word? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would meet with us, God. We have been praying this throughout the entire service, that at every point you would meet with us. Your presence would be made known. We would be different because of it, God, that, that as we worship you through your word, through song, through praise, uh, that all of it would come out of uh, response to experiencing you. God, as we come now and open your word, as we come to hear uh, what I believe you have for us this morning, would you teach us? Would you speak to us? Would you speak through us, Lord, that we could know you more, that we could be more like you, and that we could advance your kingdom in this world? Come and do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been working for the last couple weeks um, through our vision and values as a church. And before Chris puts the vision statement up there and steals my thunder, <laughs> let's, let's see how you guys are doing with remembering it. We as a church, and again, not as an organization, but as a gathering of believers, we exist to see every person involved in what? Kingdom life. Kingdom life. You guys are getting it. I'm so proud of you. We believe that we exist to see every single person involved in kingdom life. That believers take steps further into the kingdom reality. That those who are on the outside have invitation to come and join what the king is doing through Jesus. This is why we exist as a church. And Chris, you can go ahead and put that slide up there for me. And there are four values, four, four priorities that we believe that if we're really going to see every person involved in kingdom life, there's four things that each of us have to prioritize in our life, have to hold as a value of, of the most important things if we're really going to see the kingdom advance. Divine expectation and engagement, living with a sense of expectation that the Lord is going to move, that the Lord is going to do His work, and then engagement, that we're going to partner with Him. Be that here when we gather on a Sunday morning, be that at work, be that at home. The Lord is on the move and we live with a sense of expectation. We started last week and we're going to finish this week talking about practical discipleship. We believe that we need to live with an outward focus and to become a family on mission. So last week as we started jumping into uh, practical discipleship, Here's how we define practical discipleship. Walking arm in arm in intentional relationships toward transformation into the character and priorities of Jesus. Sounds like kind of a mouthful. So we're, we're, we broke it in half. Last week we were looking at walking arm in arm in intentional relationships toward transformation. We, we believe that if we are really going to, to move into what the Lord is calling us to be about... We talked about this last week. We have to shift our focus from church growth, from putting more butts in seats, from becoming bigger and better as a church, and I'm putting that in quotes, to disciple making. We weren't told, go and build my church. Jesus, in fact, said, I will build my church. And he told us, go and make disciples. And last week, we started to dig into this, how we've, we've kind of put the cart before the horse, and we started looking at going, how do we make the message easier for people to get, and how do we play songs that everyone will love, and how do we decorate in a way where people will just want to show up, because we, we started to look at church building, and one thing that's been lost, and when I say we, I'm not just talking about us here at the Alliance Church, but as the Western church, as the American church, we've lost disciple-making. 
It's been kind of one of those things where, man, I hope it happens, but we're going to focus over here instead. When Jesus left and he said, look, this is, this is the one command I've given you, to go and to make disciples. We must shift from church growth back to disciple making. And sometimes this means adding new intentional relationships. I think this is the biggest stumbling block to disciple making, is we go, but I don't have time for more relationships. I don't have time for more meetings. I don't have time for another Bible study, which is dangerous because what we can be saying in that time is I'm prioritizing other things above disciple making. I I don't have time because there's other things that I'd rather spend my time and energy on, which is a dangerous, dangerous statement. But the reality is many of us look at our lives and we go adding new relationships like, oh, there's a, there's a huge cost involved in that. And I'll, but I'll say this. When it comes to adding new intentional relationships, that piece of disciple making, that's something that the Lord may call us to specific people for a specific time, but that is not the whole of disciple making. Go and make all new relationships. There, there may be a time when the Lord says, here is a young believer here, maybe here's a peer, but who's struggling in this area. And for this time, I want you to walk with them. I want you to meet with them intentionally. I want you to invite them into your life. And I want you to walk in what they're walking in for this season. Could be a couple weeks, could be a couple months. Jesus did it for three and a half years. And that's the longest discipleship relationship I know of with his disciples. For the most part, and this is from my own experience and from others, we're never told in the scriptures, here's how long it takes and all of this stuff, but there's a season. This is a new believer who doesn't know what it means to read the Bible, doesn't know what it means to pray. And so for a few months, we're going to walk together and I'm going to help instill these skills. And then, I've seen this happen time and time again, schedules change, things happen, and I become less like every day walking on arm, arm in arm with this person and more of a resource. And the Lord lifts up someone else to walk with them. These are not lifelong commitments. This is for this season. Who might the Lord be calling me to disciple? Is there a new relationship he's calling me to add for this season? That, that does exist. I don't want to downplay that. And there is cost involved. We have to prioritize it. We have to say no to some other things so that we can say yes to these kinds of relationships. That is true, but I don't believe that's the greatest part of disciple-making. I don't believe that that's the greatest part of walking arm-in-arm in in intentional relationships. I think most often what disciple-making looks like, living that kind of life, looks like being more intentional about the existing relationships that we have. We looked last week at the, the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples. And many of us, when we hear go and make disciples, we think stop what you're doing and go do something different. But the literal translation from the Greek is, as you are going, be making disciples. There may be those times when the Lord says, stop and pivot. There's this person that's not already in your sphere that I want you to reach out to. Someone may come to you and say, hey, I see this in your life. And I want that. Would you you meet with me? Would you show me how to have that? Those times may happen, but Jesus' command here wasn't put down everything you're used to doing and go do something different, but it's as you go through your life, always be making disciples. 
How are you at being intentional with the relationships you already have? There, again, there may be those seasons of adding new ones, but for the most part, it's becoming intentional with the people that you already rub elbows with. Think about some of these types of relationships. How many of you in here are married? How many of you view your marriage relationship primarily as a disciple-making relationship? One guy. And that's cool. It was more rhetorical, and that's okay. But most of us don't. Most of us view our marriage relationship as somebody, you know, yeah, we're, we have to be on the same page, and we have to do life together. But the story that is continually told, told is that marriage is to make you happy. They got married, and they lived happily ever after, Correct. How many of you that are married, is that your story? No bumps along the road, just happily ever after. <laughs> I saw a couple. Ah, just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Is she looking? You've heard this before, but when it comes to marriage, it's not about happiness, but holiness. And that's a very countercultural view. But listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about the relationship between a husband and wife in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. When Paul is talking to husbands, he says, love your wives, and this is so huge, as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Was it, was it in a selfish manner? Was it to get what he could get from the church? Was it because it was so much easier and better for him? No. He loved the church sacrificially for the church's good. And not even just so that the church would be happy, but so that the church would be washed through the water of the word. That one day he would be able to present the church to God the Father and go, look, she's beautiful, she's radiant. She's become what you created her to be without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, holy and blameless. That's how Jesus approaches loving his church. And he says, husbands and wives are to approach the relationship the same way. Not about how do I make you happy? How do we make it through today without a fight? How do we just have some peace in the household? But how do I encourage you, equip you, inspire you to look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? How do I call out in you the things that I see God doing and encourage those along? How do I walk with you through the hardships, not just in a, hey, we'll get through this, but in a, what is God trying to do in your life? How is he trying to use this to make you more like him? Holy and blameless. If you are married here today, or if you ever plan on being married at some point in your life, the main goal of marriage is not happiness, but holiness. It is a discipleship relationship. I can't think of a more arm-in-arm -arm relationship. But how many of us are not intentional with this greatest resource that we have? We just get caught up doing life and getting kids where they need to go, and you work this job and I work that job, and maybe we'll, we'll have a conversation on the weekend kind of idea. And God says, this is one of the greatest intentional relationships you could have for the purpose of looking more like me. No one knows you more, good and bad, and has the ability to speak into your life and to call the God things out in you 
inspire you, encourage you, equip you than your spouse. We have to become more intentional. Parenting. Your job as a parent is to get them to 18 without having sex, without drinking, and without cussing too much, right? If you've done that, way to go, Christian parent, right? That's how many view it. My job is to get them to 18, and hopefully they're somewhat useful to society, and off they go. And whew, now I can take a break. Now, those of you that have kids that are over 18 know there is no break. From what I hear, it gets way harder after 18. But that, that's kind of the goal that we have is just keep them alive and keep them out of jail. If we can do that, we've done a pretty good job as a parent. When really what we're called to do as parents, as Christian parents, is to call out those things that God is doing in our kids. To use these formative times, not just to make them good people, but to help them become more Christ-like. We, we talk walking arm-in-arm in intentional relationships towards transformation. To be transformed from the sinful little buggers that they were when they were born to looking more like Jesus at 14, 16, 18, 20, whatever it may be, than they did the year before. Seeing Christ formed in our children. Here's how Paul talks to someone that he considered his son, Timothy. He always talked about Timothy as my son in the Lord. And he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. We all know this verse. But set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He had high expectations for someone that he saw as a son. You are to be leading the way, and these are, these are character traits. You are to be leading the way in godly character, even at your young age. And he was calling it out in Timothy. I see this in you. And we know that Paul had walked with Timothy, training him up in righteousness. Not just to be a pretty good guy, not just to be better than the other people around him, but to be Christ-like and to lead others in that. He was incredibly intentional, as we are to be, with these most important relationships. At work and friendships that you have, God has put you in all of these places for a reason, that as you are going, you will make disciples. We're going to talk in a couple weeks about work as mission. Because uh, I believe this real quick. I believe you are just as called to do whatever it is you do for work as I am to do what I do. So often there's kind of this different levels where we go, oh, pastors and missionaries, they're called to what they do. I, I just work at the hospital. I'm just a plumber. I'm just an electrician. I'm just a teacher. I believe you are just as called into the field that God has called you into because he has relationships there where you are to impact those people, where you are to be making disciples as you go. We have to become more intentional with the relationships we already have. And if God brings one of those new relationships along, we have to find a way to carve some things out which will take sacrifice. But far and above, it's about being good stewards of the relationships he's already given us. Is this making sense, church? Yes. Okay, you got masks on. I need some bigger nods. Okay. So we talked about how, kind of what, what discipleship looks like. It's relational. It's arm in arm. But to what end? Toward transformation. We talk all the time and we say, you know, to look more like Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? 
we should look like a 30-some-year-old Jewish rabbi. We start wearing robes and sandals. We speak only in parables. Like, we use that term a lot, but it's, it's honestly not very helpful until we start to define it. To look more like Jesus, what does that mean? We have to know what we're aiming for if we're ever going to hit the mark. So many times what we do as a church is we do ready, fire, aim. We know we're supposed to be about something, so let's just get busy doing it. Well, did it turn out like what it was supposed to? I don't know. Something happened, so I guess so. We have to know what we're aiming for if we're ever going to hit the mark. Especially when it comes to discipleship. The last thing Jesus told us to be about before leaving, we have to get this straight. We have to know what we're aiming for. Galatians 2.20 is one of those passages that gets pointed to a lot. Paul saying this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, look, when people look at my life, they see Jesus living through me. And we hear that and we go, yes, amen, I want that. But what does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? If we can't get it defined, if we can't figure out what it actually means, it's relatively useless. We can never tell if we're on the right path. We can never tell if we're making progress if we don't know what exactly we're aiming for. So what does it look like to look more like Jesus? Here's how we're going to talk about it. It looks like having Christ's character and priorities formed in you. That in the character, the deepest parts of who you are, you begin to have the same character that Jesus had. In your priorities, in the way that you prioritize what's important and what isn't, what's going to get my time and what doesn't, your priorities start to align with Jesus. That is what it means to look like Jesus. Not that you go to church more, not that you read your Bible more than, than they did, not that you pray more than you did last year. Those, are, those can be good things, but in and of themselves, they don't cut it. Are you being transformed in your, uh, the scripture uses this term a lot, and uh, B.J. Manning used to pray this all the time, in your inner man, or woe man, kind of the general term, are you being transformed in your inner being, your character, the soul of who you are, to have the same character of Jesus? When someone looks and says, what, if just watching how you live, and they would say, here's what's important to this person. Here's how they spend their time, money, energy, their priorities. Would they say, when I read the Bible, those match? Or would they go, they're off somewhere over there? True discipleship ends up in transformation of our character and our priorities. So we, we have to take a step back here and look at this. As we talk about discipleship, it's one of these weird things where we are both in process and to be walking with others. When I look at discipleship, when I look at the goal of discipleship, I have to both say, what does that look like in my life? And if I'm called to be making disciples, what does that look like? like what does that look like in others that I'm walking with? Does that make sense? So often, when it comes to, to these ideas of transformation, the character and priorities of Jesus, we tend to look at, so what should I do? So just tell me what to do. How often should I be reading my Bible? How often should I be praying? How many times do I have to go to church in a given month? 
tell me what to do. And this is what the church has become really good at. Here's a whole bunch of things never to do. And here's a whole bunch of things always to do. And then it's almost a, I don't know, just focus on those. And again, hopefully transformation happens. When we read in the scriptures, we're not told. And there's so much gray in terms of how we live it out. They didn't have a, okay, so every single Sunday. And as long as you go three times in a given month, you're okay. Four is better. Two is not enough. Like, we don't find those things. What we find is that we are to prioritize things like the gathering together and, and worship. That's to be a character thing. But we're left to work it out. It's not about what we should do. It's about who we should become. What we find all throughout Scripture is we're not told how to live out the Christian life. We're told here's what the Christian life looks like. Here's what a true Christian is. Now become that. And a lot of it is left for us to work out together because it's cultural and what do these things look like? But we're given all kinds of character traits you can watch Jesus and you can see the, the people and the things that he prioritizes and we're called, we're called to go and prioritize the same things. We focus so much on what should I be doing and what we're told in scripture is who I should be being. We focus so much in the church on behavior management. It, it's about doing this this many times a week and as long as you do that, you're a good Christian when again, what we're called to in the scripture is transformation. We looked at 2 Corinthians 3.18 last week, and actually the last two weeks, that we are transformed with ever-increasing glory to reflect the Lord. That our life looks more like Jesus' life today than it did yesterday. That's what we're told is the goal. Not that we read five times a week as compared to the three we were doing before. We get so consumed on behavior management when what we're told is it's about transformation. We get so consumed with sin management. Stop doing this. This is wrong. Quit it. When what we're called to is righteousness. It's not about, okay, how do we manage our sin and how do we get better at doing less sin? But instead, we're called to the positive side where, where he says, be like Jesus in character who was righteous, who pursued God with everything he had. And yeah, you have to lay down the sin, but not because if you do, we will applaud you, but because that cuts the legs out of righteousness every time. You cannot both continue in sin and be righteous at the same time. That's the goal, to become more like him. When we look at the sin management, typically the question that we ask is where's the line? How far can I go? How close to the edge can I get before I've actually sinned? What we're called to in Scripture is how much like Jesus can I actually be? How much can I pursue the Lord? How much can I become like Him today? It's two completely different goals. Is this making sense, church? Okay, good, because you're going to have time to share here in a minute, and if not... That'll be a mess. So let's start to look at some of the character and priorities of Jesus. First, we're going to look at character, then we'll come to priorities. One of the, the chief places that we go to for the, the character of Jesus is what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit. How many of you have the fruits of the Spirit memorized in one translation or another? Okay. 
a good number of us. Again, this is a popular verse. This is not something that like is some best kept secret in the Bible. But for some reason, we can miss this at times. Let me look at it here. Galatians 5.22 uh, is where the fruits of the Spirit are found. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul is going, look, when you are communing with the Spirit, when you're walking in lockstep with the Spirit, He bears this fruit in you. Love, joy, peace. These are character traits. These are character traits that Jesus himself had and was known for. And Paul says, when you are walking in lockstep with the Spirit, these are character traits that you will be known for. Far too often what we do, though, is we look at these as things that we should do. Okay, so I need to do more love. I need to do more joy. I'm not joyful enough. I got I to gotta start reminding myself every day, be joyful. And I got I to gotta do more joy, do more peace. There's too much conflict or whatever, so I got to do more peace. Well, what we find here is, no, these are fruits of the Spirit. These are things that He produces in you, and they're character traits. They're not things that you do. They're who you become. We find passages like this in 1 John 4, 7 to 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know, know God, because God is love. It doesn't say because God does love real good. It's who He is. He can't not love Love isn't something that he kind of chooses to throw out in this situation or that situation. It's who he is. It radiates from him because it's part of his character. And in the same way, we're told with the fruit of the Spirit that you are to be love at your core. It's a character thing. And now you start to see why we use the word transformation. How many of you in here would go, at my core, I am love? Oh, you were just scratching? Okay, that's good. <laughs> At my core, I am selfish. At my core, I am self-serving. And it takes utter transformation for one day people to look and go, when I think of love, like living itself out in a practical way, I think of Bryce. Like, I, it's almost like he is love. That sounds crazy and arrogant to even, like, picture but that's what people have done with God. That's what people did with Jesus. And that's what our lives are to reflect. That our character, our inner person, is being transformed each and every day to look more like His character. Does that make sense, church? Okay, so let's talk. What are some other character traits, characteristics that we are to, to be about, that we are to, uh, to seek God to have like born in us. What are some other character traits that people would describe God that you would read and people would describe Jesus and are ultimately to describe us? Forgiving. Forgiving. That is a huge one. Absolutely. What is it? Compassion. Compassion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Truthful. Truthful. 
patient. Mm hmm Gentleness. Caring. Yeah. Gracious. What else? Character traits. What is it? Humility. Humility. If you have a mask on, you got to speak up a little bit louder. What, uh, what was it? Intentional. Intentional. What else? Unconditional. unconditional. Yeah. I mean, so many of these things we talked about, whether love, compassion, all that, it's unconditional when it comes from the Lord. Holy. Holy. Kind of an important one. What else? Ooh, submissive to the will of God. That's good. I think about ones like people would describe Jesus as with his power. Or they would go, who is this guy? He has such authority. These were character traits that defined him and are to define us. What else? I, I have no secret list that I'm looking for you guys to check off. Uh, just what are some of the ones, maybe as you've read scripture, that maybe have stopped in your tracks a little bit when you see Jesus living this way, or Paul or somebody else, and you go, whoa. Okay, Holy Spirit dependence. Forgiving. Mm-hmm. Forgiving. Honest. Honest. Yeah, even when it hurts. Yeah. Servant. Servant. Yeah. I think of Philippians chapter 2 where we're told to consider each other better than ourselves and to put on the same mind of Jesus who made himself a servant. Paul was going, look, here is a character trait that defined him. Even though he could have puffed out his chest, he, he was a servant, and that was defining. Okay, so let me, let me switch a little bit. Those are some of what the character traits are. That's some of who God is calling us to become. Now I want to talk about how do we begin to put those things on. The, 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 um, the value is practical discipleship. Not just some out there would be cool if, but there's a practical piece to this. How do we begin to put this on? I want to share two passages uh, real quick. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. A couple more character traits. Over in Romans 13, he says, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. There's this idea where at one part, we said it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Spirit does in you. But then there's also Paul in a couple of different places going, Now clothe yourself with these things. It's a partnership with the Lord. So how do we begin to clothe ourselves with some of these characteristics? Okay. How do you get rid of the ugly? Okay. I'm sure it was great, whatever it was. Yeah. That's my word. Mm-hmm. So it's 
Yeah, if you had a hard time hearing Cheryl at all, it starts with confession. Getting, getting rid of the ugly, you know, of first going, Lord, let's be real. You call me to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But I know myself and I know you know me. I'm, I'm sinful, I'm wicked, I'm selfish, I'm self-serving, I'm self-gratifying. I want to confess that to you. I want to lay that down at your feet and then invite you to do the transforming work in me. Absolutely. I think, I, I think that's so key. It has to start with that confession. The, the, the whole thing of uh, to be lost is to not know where you are. Even if you know where you're going, but you don't know where you are, a map is not helpful. It starts with where am I now? And then I can start to go, how do I get to where I'm going? What else? How do we begin to clothe ourselves with these things? So I'll use this mic. So I was just thinking of when I have been through discipleship and was intentionally going through, and actually right now in the book that I'm reading, they talk about abiding is this idea of, so like if we're trying to produce fruit, the vine and the branches, you have to be attached to the vine and that's how you get your fruit, right? Like, and that's how you know. And so in the practical, so how do you abide? Um, I had a, a, I was challenged one time through uh, the process of soul care to sit and imagine or picture or whatever God's love pouring down on me. And I was, to be totally honest, like, ugh. Like, okay, I know God loves me. I, you really want me to, like, get on my knees and, like, close my eyes? I wonder, how do you imagine God's love pouring down on me? And I was just so, like... But I'm a rule follower sometimes, and I wanted my soul to be healthier, so I'm like, okay, I will do that. Step one, sit down and close your eyes and imagine God's love pouring down on you. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, but Jesus, you know I don't have a good attitude about this. Like, I think this is silly. Like, how do you imagine love? I don't know. It's just not my thing. So I sit on the floor, and I tell him that, and Jesus was like, well, how about I pour my patience over you? And as a mom of four kids, two adolescents, <laughs> one with special needs, <laughs> I was like, oh, please, <laughs> please pour your patience out over me. And, and I could grasp that for some reason, and I don't know if I could describe what I imagined, but just thinking and receiving from him in that quiet moment, which I don't ever take, would not have taken if someone wouldn't have said, this is how you're going to learn how to abide in Jesus as you're going to sit down and you're going to receive, imagine receiving his love. And in that, I was like, okay, well, your love is patience, and I really need that poured out over me so that I have something to give to these little lives around me that I don't have enough for in any moment, let alone this one. And so it was not a natural thing for me to do. I was very thankful that that was given to me because in a way, I do feel like that, that description of clothing, like to clothe myself in his love because like, I don't have it in me, but he has it for me. And so just to take even just literally one minute of silence to close my eyes and be like, I'm going to practically receive what you already said I have, and that's your love or your patience. And I'm going to remember that you've given this to me so that I can then produce that for other people. Yeah, thank you. And I think in that is such an important thing, tying some of these different things together. 
of, of in those moments when you realize, like, man, there's a character trait that God's calling me to that I don't have right now, whether that's patience with your kids, whether that's love, compassion, uh, generosity, some of these other things, in those moments to go, Jesus, like, I need your patience. I, I need you to pour your patience out over me, to fill me with your patience so that I have something to give others. I think that is an incredibly practical step. Now, there's a self-awareness there. There is a, I know what his characteristics actually are. And I'm just aware that I can't do that in and of myself. And so in those moments, inviting the Lord. We, we talked about when it comes to discipleship, walking arm in arm, intentional relationships towards transformation. One of those intentional relationships is with Jesus himself. Uh, Kim mentioned abiding in John chapter 15. Sometime, just sit down and read John chapter 15 a couple different times. It is so powerful when Jesus talks about you want to bear fruit, you cling to the vine. That's it. That's all you got. And to look at it and going, okay, where am I not clinging to him? Because in those areas of my life, I'm never going to produce his character. I'm never going to be able to have his priorities. How do I begin to cling in those times? That is, that is a massive, massive step. Anything else? How do we clothe ourselves? Discipleship relationships. You're right, guys. We do need each other. <laughs> One of the great ways that we are going to see Christ's character and priorities formed in us is by walking with others who are a step further down that path than I am. Truly looking at it someday, and man, to sit down, and I'm not a journaler, so when I talk about journaling, it's not because I do it every single day and you should be like me. It is a discipline. But to sit down one day and go, what, there's going to be some characteristics of Jesus that we kind of naturally gravitate towards. They're a little more natural for me. And some that are just plain difficult. To, to, to write some of those out and go, what are some of the ones that just seem impossible for me in and of myself? Who do I know that I would look at and I would say, that seems to be something that characterizes that person. I've talked before and said, I am not an incredibly merciful or compassionate person. I probably need to sit down with, with Cheryl Goins sometime and go, teach me how to be compassionate. Teach me how, how the Lord has shown you, how you view these things. Like, how, how did you get good at this? I need some of that in my life. Some of you may be going, man, the compassion and all of that comes easy. But then when you come to some of the, the speaking truth and some of the more like bold, maybe even at times confrontational type things, ooh, those aren't me. You probably need to sit down with Casey Wallace sometime and go, Casey, how do I shoot from the hip with people? Like, what does that look like? And he can begin to walk with you. We need each other. And sometimes it's just as simple of going, who has the thing that I need? I need to go just spend time with them, rubbing elbows with them in the hopes that some of it will rub off, in the hopes that I can pick up some, some practical steps to grow in this. This is not something we each do in a vacuum by ourselves. We're called to walk through this together, to be making disciples as we go through lives of each other and of those who have never even heard the name of Jesus before. So let's, let's transition over. Let's talk about priorities. When you think about Jesus while here on earth, 
When you think about stories in the scriptures where, where God is moved and is moving, what are the things that they prioritize? Therefore, the things that we need to prioritize. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing that Jesus, I would say, prioritized was engaging with the Lord. Where is God moving and how can I go partner with him? And he would spend time in prayer asking those same things. He would, he would see a need and it wasn't just, uh, okay, it was maybe this is an opportunity where the Lord is moving. And he had those eyes open. That's great. What else? Okay, loving the unloved. Yeah, one thing where, where Jesus talks about those people in a couple different ways. One way he puts it that was powerful to me is the least of these. And he gave different examples. Maybe it's the homeless, the, the naked, the poor. Maybe it's the immigrant, the widow, the, um, the fatherless, the orphan. And he kind of gave what, the ones that couldn't speak for themselves, the unlovables. And he said, I actually prioritize those people. One day you're going to have to give an account for how you treated those people, not how you treated those that were well-to-do and could take care of themselves. He prioritized the least of these, the unloved, the unlovable. What else? I'm not suggesting this is easy and you guys should have these here, but, but these are one of those things where if we don't begin to get these out, we're never going to prioritize them. Yeah, he, he prioritized teaching, is what she said. And it wasn't always this kind of teaching, right? Where, I mean, they didn't have microphones, but where Jesus would stand up in front of a crowd and give a sermon. There was some of that. That was, that was a gift that he had. But it was also just this, as he was walking through life with his friends, he would go, man, this fig tree makes me think about something God showed me. And he would begin to share with them just as he walked through life. He was always teaching, or as I have it here, he was always disciple-making, Every opportunity was an opportunity to make a disciple, to help people see it from a different perspective, to help people take another step, whatever it may be. He was always teaching, always inviting in. That's great. What else? Serving? Yeah. Wherever there was a need, Jesus was, was willing to step in. He prioritized serving, helping others, even above helping himself which is incredibly difficult, I would even say impossible, in and of ourselves. Time with his father? Yeah. Very good. Who? Someone had one over here? Sacrifice? Yeah. Very good. Anyone else? These are good guys. It's good just to hear from each other and to learn from each other because there's going to be things that when you read in Scripture, you come away with that I never would have gotten. And we need to hear each other's thoughts. Again, back to discipling relationships. We need each other. Okay. Okay. She said Jesus cared more about helping people discover truth than just giving them answers. And so he would ask questions. He would, he would teach parables and stories and things that kind of like drew people in rather than going, stop doing this, start doing that. 
uh, he, he wanted people to discover things themselves. That's good. So you can start to see here, we, we, we're not going to continue on with this, but you can start to see, A, how we need each other. There are things that the Lord has spoken to you and shown you from his word about who he is, about what he desires that I need to hear, and the same the other way. We need each other in this. Who is someone who is able to prioritize a kingdom thing better than you? How do you get in contact with that person? How do you begin to, to rub elbows with that person and learn from that person? Who is somebody you see that you go, man, if, if they just had this piece, they would take off. If they just understood this characteristic that I think the Lord is trying to do, and maybe I need to go interact with them. I need to invite them into something. We need each other if we're ever truly going to grow in the characters and priorities of Jesus. That's what this whole game is about. If we put that off to the side and go, let's just have a good church with a bunch of people and it sounds good and it looks good, if that's all we have at the end of the day, I don't want to play this game. We're wasting our time. Unless Christ's character and priorities are being formed in each and every one of us, we're wasting it. This needs to be the shift. This needs to be the direction that we move. Because without this, we've missed it. We've been disobedient about the one thing he told us to be about. So let me pray, and I'm going to invite the music team to come up as we close with a song. Lord Jesus, there is this partnership uh, that happens as we partner with you and, and you bear your fruit in us, but God, we are working and partnering along with you. Uh, may we never think so highly of ourselves that we don't need you. And God, may we never just give in to laziness and the status quo. Maybe you'll do it without us. May we always partner with you to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ to clothe ourselves with your character and priorities. And God, as we do this, we will see our need for each other, our need to be encouraged, our need to have someone uh, give us a helping hand, uh, to, to show us some practical steps, to, to warn us of a potential danger. We will see our need from you as we begin to walk this path. But Lord Jesus, that will take sacrifice. That will take prioritizing your things over our things. And that will hurt. But maybe, may we be willing to pay that price to be about the business of the king, to see the kingdom advanced in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Lead us into this. In Jesus' name, amen.